episode three of the DSI Security Services podcast, The Security Evolution. In this episode, I talked to Andy Hughes. Andy has over 30 years experience in law enforcement. He served as sheriff of Houston County, Alabama for eight years and also worked at the state level. Uh, currently, Andy is transitioned in the private sector, and we talk about the current state of law enforcement in our country and the partnership between private security and law enforcement now and what the future may hold. So thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoy this discussion. Well, Andy, thanks again for joining us here on the DSI Security Services Podcast. I think this is a very timely topic, but before we really get into the, the role of private security and that relationship with law enforcement, uh, tell us a little bit about your history in law enforcement, how you got into the private security realm. Well, it's my pleasure to be here with you today, Eddie, and uh, discuss this very important topic. Um, I was born into a law enforcement family. I'm a second-generation law enforcement officer. My dad was a uh, was a cop for 36 years. It's practically you know all I ever knew growing up. So there was never any doubt in my mind what I wanted to be. But uh, I got into uh, law enforcement at, at the age of 18 as a dispatcher with the Houston County Sheriff's Office back in 1986. Uh, started out there, worked in the jail a little while, uh, worked as a deputy in the patrol division, uh, later worked in narcotics, and then uh, went over to Dothan, Alabama Police Department in 1990. Uh, did uh, 16 and a half years at Dothan PD uh, prior to me running for sheriff in 2006, and uh, I was elected. Uh, I was reelected in 2010, and uh, around the end of my second term, uh, I ended up being appointed as the uh, Chief of Tactical Operations for the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, which was a newly formed agency. We were combining uh, 12 different state law enforcement agencies into one large agency, which was a uh, major un undertaking. Learned a lot uh, at the state level to go along with what I had uh, previously done at the county and at the municipal level. And uh, in 2016, I retired, and after a 30-year law enforcement career, it was a very enjoyable career. There's a lot uh, of aspects of law enforcement that I miss greatly, uh, the camaraderie with a, with a team of individuals who have a common goal. Uh, of course, I also get that in the security industry, too. Uh, but back in 2018, I, I did some contract work for a company called First Guard. And uh, at the end of that work, there was some disaster uh, recovery work. We were doing uh, security for several clients down in the Panama City, Florida area after Hurricane Michael in 2018. And after that, Keith Gamble, the founder and CEO of First Guard, asked me if I would come to work with them full time. And uh, I did, and uh, January will be two years that I've been working full time in the security industry. Uh, I enjoy my time with First Guard, and, and we contract provide uh, off-duty law enforcement officers all over the country for various security projects. And you would really be surprised at some of the calls that we get for some of the, the things that we do around the country. And uh, it's really opened my eyes to the, uh, to the security industry, what really goes on in the security industry. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later uh, when we talk about what law enforcement vision of the security industry is and how the two uh, can work together. But I uh, had a very enjoyable law enforcement career. Uh, a lot of that translated into the private sector, into a security career. A lot of it didn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think it's important for law enforcement officers, especially those that want to want to do something after they retire, to start really thinking about what they want to do and uh, start gearing them, uh, themselves up for a, a second career if they retired a, a young age like I did. Sure. Interesting fact, our, our fathers actually worked together 
um, many, many years ago. So. Yes, yes. Your grandfather, yeah. uh, A.B. Clark, was a sheriff and the founder yeah. of DSI. I've got many pictures of him and my father together when my, my dad was in law enforcement. And uh, I knew A.B. whenever I was growing up. And then and, and Tom's real. Well, I said your grandfather is actually, uh, actually <laughs> Alan's grandfather, the founder of the company. But your father was a district attorney. Yeah. And uh, my father was the chief investigator for the 20th Judicial Circuit district attorney's office that covers Houston and Henry County here in Alabama. I've known Tom Sorrells, your father, for a, a long, long time, and he's had a very uh, illustrious career in, in law he enforcement. Yes, yeah, and certainly proud to, to be a son, as I know you were proud to, to be the son of, of your father as well. So we have a lot of backgrounds in, in similar areas, and uh, I said that was a few years ago. I know we're both in our mid-20s, so that wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, too long ago, but but talk for a minute about um, what you see as far as challenges right now for law enforcement. We see a lot of things in the media, uh, what's going on in the political sphere right now about defunding the police. And uh, I know you talk to a lot of agencies across the country. What are some of the main challenges that law enforcement officers are facing right now? The, the biggest challenge, and this has not just come into play within the last year or so uh, with the civil unrest going on in the country, but the main challenge for law enforcement agencies in this country is recruitment and retention of qualified personnel. Uh, you know, the job has never been a great paying job. My, my daddy used to tell me, he said, son, you know why they call us police? And I said, why? He said, are we the poorest men in town the least thought of? <laughs> I mean, uh, we, and, and a lot of times that's true, but uh, law enforcement is not a really high paying career. It, it has uh, increased its salary. Uh, over the years, it's a lot more than it than it used to be, and uh, a lot of people in this country had have really tried to professionalize the vocation or the the, uh, the career of law enforcement, and I think that's led to some higher salaries. But still, the 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 the, the benefit to risk ratio is not very good for most people. Most people, unless they've got it in their heart, they're being called to be a law enforcement officer. They're being called to be a public servant then they're not going to go out for $30,000, dollars $40,000 a year starting off to risk their life every day, plus put up with a lot of the stuff that they have to put up with. And law enforcement's a very challenging career, and, and not only just the danger aspect, but it's just the things that you see every day, the, the, the human nature and, and what happens to people. Uh, you know, there are only two kind of people that we deal with in law enforcement, and that's bad people and good people who are having a bad day. And so, you know, you're either dealing with a bad guy, somebody that you're going to end up arresting and putting in jail, or you're ended up with someone who has been in an accident, or their child is missing, or their lawnmower's been stolen. No, because that's a, pretty much the only kind of people you deal with on a daily basis. And it can go from, you know, from, from one call uh, being a very calm call, and you're just taking a report, and the next time, you, you know, in a few minutes, you're fighting for your life. Uh, it's just a, a career uh, not a lot of people want to do anymore, and uh, it's very challenging. And uh, law enforcement agencies around the country are really, uh, they're really competitive right now. I mean, people, people are shopping their sales around. I mean, and right now, if you want a career in law enforcement, right now is the time to get in law enforcement because the the pool is very small. 
and uh, you can pretty much market yourself. If you're a, a good candidate, you can market yourself to numerous agencies. There are agencies that are paying uh, sign-on bonuses now. They're letting people drive take-home cars even further and further away from their jurisdictions if you don't want to move. Uh, their, you know, their salaries are up there. They have educational incentives where if you have a college degree, you can earn anywhere from you know two and a half percent for a associate's degree, five percent for a bachelor's degree, seven and a half percent for a for a master's degree. So uh, it's a very, very competitive market right now. Yeah, would you say, thinking back to, to 30 years ago when, when you were out on the streets as a police officer, uh, the police officer of today, is he or she facing different problems that you faced 30 years ago? Yes, uh, you know, some of the same dangers are out there, some of the same uh, circumstances are out there, but the public sentiment toward law enforcement is not what it was 30 years ago, or not even 10 years ago, probably not even five years ago. Public sentiment is a lot different now, and a, a lot of people in this country have been taught to hate law enforcement, that law enforcement are the bad guys. And I'm not going to tell you, I mean, there's around 800,000 or so law enforcement officers in this country. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that all 800,000 are fine, upstanding citizens that do the right thing every single day in every single situation. I wish I could tell you that, but that's just not the case. Uh, and uh, sometimes, I mean, there, there are bad cops, bad preachers, bad teachers, bad doctors. Anytime you get a group of 800,000 uh, people in a certain vocation, you're going to have bad apples there. But uh, some people have been taught in, in some communities and, you know, both rural communities, uh, urban communities and suburban communities to hate the police. They hate the authority that the, that the police project and uh, they just want the police to stay out of their lives. And they, you know, they won't cooperate with law enforcement when there's an investigation, when somebody's been murdered in their neighborhood. They don't want law enforcement in their neighborhood. They try to sabotage um, either our enforcement efforts or in ef efforts to, to arrest someone after a crime has been committed. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, around 800,000 or so law enforcement officers in our country. And depending on what stats you look at, there could be upwards of 2 million private security officers in the country. Uh, being a sheriff, being a police officer, working at the state level as well for a law enforcement agency, uh, how have you seen private security playing a role in assisting or being a force multiplier for law enforcement? Yes, uh, they're a really a big force multiplier. Law enforcement officers can't be everywhere all the time. We just don't have enough people. And the agencies, and just like going back to what I said, recruitment and retention of qualified personnel, most of these agencies of any size are shorthanded right now. Uh, a lot of the agencies, including our local agencies here in the Dothan area, they're going from call to call to call. And there's no time for proactive patrol. They're, they're not getting any time out there to be looking for criminal activity, to, to be stopping cars at 2 a.m. in the morning in an industrial area where burglaries are occurring and that type of thing. They're going from call to call to call for their whole 8, 10, or 12-hour shift. Uh, so response times have, uh, have grown incrementally. Uh, we, we got called uh, trying to provide some off-duty security work out in the San Francisco area a while back in relation to one of your clients. Mm -hmm. or your company actually called us. And uh, the, the average response time in that area uh, right outside of San Francisco for a police officer to come was two hours. Wow. 
They were not getting a response for two hours. And this was a trespassing call. They were having people that were trespassing on their property. They could see them on camera. They were calling saying, hey, somebody's on our property. It's not supposed to be here. It was two hours before they were getting a response. That's, that's totally unacceptable. Yeah, is that because they don't have the resources or they're trying to, to respond to the highest priority call? What allows a law enforcement agency to be in that kind of situation? I, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, you have got to prioritize your calls. You've got to put those those uh, calls that may result in personal injury or death uh, at the top, and then your your property calls and your nuisance calls are going yeah. to be more down toward the bottom of the priority list. And uh, you know they've got to prioritize those calls and send them to what calls uh, that they need to go to first. So uh, yes, it is a problem. It's it's, it's a lot of its resources and a lot of agencies are not providing some of the same services that they provided years ago. I mean, used to, we would provide, people would call us all the time for close patrols, either on their business or on their house while they were out of town. Their alarm system was, was out for a few days or whatever the case may be. And law enforcement, we were always glad to provide those type of services. Now with the uh, less number of law enforcement officers out there working on the street now and the high volume of calls and in some of these areas i mean the riots and everything else that's going on is really taxing their manpower plus the normal day-to-day -day stuff that they're they're having to do too in these certain urban areas then uh, i mean your call may be way way down the on priority list and you may not get a, a response at all yeah and i know in the past we may have had customers that would call because of high-risk terminations or mm -hmm. Uh, an ex-employee or maybe a domestic situation could be a, a threat and uh, for many years our response would be we'll contact the local PD the local sheriff's department we'll work with mm -hmm. them uh, they may send an officer out to sit in the parking lot for a couple of days but in many jurisdictions that's just not realistic anymore is it no you know some of your smallest of, of towns that may have you know five six police officers you may still get that type of service in a small town where you know the police chief and you know the officers there and there's a limited uh jurisdiction that they're covering limited number of calls limited number of businesses there they may still be able to provide that service but you get into a town of you know uh 30,000 50,000 100,000 million people you're not going to get the same service and not to say that the law enforcement agency the, the head of that agency the chief or the sheriff uh, they don't want to give that services. They just don't have the capability yeah. to provide that service anymore. Yeah, and that brings us to, to sort of this overall issue that's been referred to as private policing or mm -hmm. uh, private-public partnerships where you have, uh, it may be the general public or certainly business owners, uh, large industrial facilities, commercial real estate, I've even seen in healthcare, mm -hmm. where they're starting to explore or turning to different resources how can we get the same type of services but through a private entity that may have the, the officers that have like training like qualifications and backgrounds to provide services like executive protection or responding to those high-risk threats where do you see this whole thing going when we talk about private policing do you think more people are going to be looking at alternatives to have the same type of service but but through a different means Yes, I think that's going to be a growing trend, and actually uh, we're already exploring uh, different opportunities and different methods of doing things. And, uh, you know, we've been in talks with your company. We've been in talks with some other security companies about providing services that are manned or provided by off-duty law enforcement officers or retired law enforcement officers uh, who have a great deal of experience. Um, 
a lot of these corporate uh, campuses realize uh, that uh, if they've got a four or five acre campus with multiple buildings, a few thousand employees on there, maybe it's a 24 hour campus or even a 12, you know, 18 hour campus where the people are coming and going, that they need extra protection there because <clears throat> they're not going to get law enforcement there. Either they're not going to get law enforcement there because of the priority of the type of call, or they're not going to get it there in a timely manner. And, you know, frankly, active shooter situations, the average response time in the United States, depending on who you ask, is anywhere from 12 to 18 yeah. minutes. And there's a lot of people, a lot of rounds can be fired, a lot of people can be shot and killed or injured in a span of 12 to 18 minutes. Now, having a off-duty law enforcement officer there on that scene or an armed security person who is well qualified on, on that corporate campus could if not deter it, at least mitigate the uh, the damages, uh, the injuries, the deaths on, on that campus there. Yeah, we're really talking about, again, those qualifications, uh, the training that's required to respond to that. And, and you brought up active shooter, active assailant. You know, we are certainly seeing more private institutions, whether it's a manufacturing facility with thousands of people that could be like a small city, right. or it could be a commercial real estate scenario where uh, the response time may not be there, and as you pointed out, from an active shooter, active assailant standpoint, uh, 10 minutes can be an eternity in, yeah. in those situations. So uh, t talk a minute about the, the skill set, the qualifications, the training that really is different when it comes to an off-duty or retired law enforcement officer and a licensed security <clears throat> officer. Well, you know, depending on the... And let me let me back up a minute, and, and you may already have this on your list to talk about, but let's talk a minute about how law enforcement views private security. Yeah. Uh, in the past, I'll be very frank, law enforcement looked at private security as like, look at the old guy with the flashlight, he's too old, or, or this guy's not capable of doing anything else, so he's a security guard. And, uh, you know, and face it, you've been in the industry a long time. Uh, you know, there were times and there were certain uh, companies well, that that's basically all sure. they, they provided. The old uh, night watchman. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, they were not much of a deterrent at all. And they were definitely not much of a, of a force to be reckoned with by uh, someone who wanted to either break into a building or do harm to some employees there. Uh, so law enforcement in the past have had a you know, we're better than thou kind of attitude toward private security. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that that's not the case. Sure. I think that has changed over the years. And uh, I think that what has brought about that change is the professional, hoping you edit that out, <coughs> Let's go with that. Is, is the security industry's uh, ability, let me go back and say, what, what has changed that is the uh, security industry has really become a profession, just as law enforcement has sure. over the years. But uh, security industry has instituted uh, a lot of standards, and I think you need standards. There needs to be minimum standards, and then you may have, on, have, have a higher level of standards for a higher level of security officer that you're getting. But, um, and, and the same goes with, with law enforcement. There's different tiers of law enforcement. I'm not going to tell you every cop out there is a gun guy. Every cop out there is not a, uh, a go-getter. They're not a tactical person. Uh, there are people in law enforcement that just go out there and answer what calls they have to. They work the wrecks, that kind of thing, and then they go home. They have no wish whatsoever to get in any type of confrontation. You've got other individuals in law enforcement that spend their own money to buy 
gear with if their department doesn't furnish it. They spend their own money and take their own vacation time to go and seek training on their own to be a better law enforcement officer. Same goes in the security industry. But the security industry has become very professional over the last decade or so. Uh, state of Alabama had no security standards, no governing board or anything for the longest time. And some states still don't, but Alabama now does have a security board. They do have a set of standards that people must meet for either unarmed or, or being an armed security professional. And uh, I think I think that's a good thing. And now I think the 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 outlook of law enforcement toward the security industry is a lot better than it used to be. And I think now that law enforcement officers, if they don't already see this, they do need to see the security industry as a force multiplier because as we discussed before, law enforcement cannot be everywhere all of the time. Yeah, and I think your point is really the, the most valid one here when it comes to evolving in the security industry mm -hmm. and the law enforcement profession is I've seen in private security, there has been that evolution of training and qualifications mm -hmm. and making sure that we uh, try to bring that the private security officer into being a professional occupation. The only way to do that is through those standards, that those training, those qualifications. And as we sit here um, today, uh, we still don't know who, who has won the presidency. We're still right. going through the whole uh, political climate here, but I've had a lot of calls just in the last few weeks about the predicted civil unrest that right. was uh, coming in relationship to the election. And I told uh, one colleague that if you're trying to plan for that by just placing some uniformed private security officers that are not trained to deal with that situation, that's not a real good plan. So, right. so in our industry, it's all about those training standards, those qualifications, and we could do an entire episode just on the technology aspect of mm. what's changing and uh, relationship to law enforcement when crimes are committed. Um, this has changed, I'm sure, in the last 20, certainly 30 years. Now you go to that private security officer or the security director to look for video footage because mm. every, every campus has some form of video surveillance. Um, a lot of times we're keeping reports, uh, mm. we're, we're compiling data and analytics. So. Mm. That's the key that the security profession is still pushing, is really raising those qualifications and those standards. And I think part of the reason the relationship between security and law enforcement has improved is because of those standards and those relationships. Right. And as we already talked about, that there's a lot more security officers out there that can be the eyes and the ears, but if they're not trained properly, they're not gonna be an asset to law enforcement or an asset to that property owner in general. Um, you mentioned before you've already seen some requests from private companies to really get into what we're calling private policing. Right. Um, what are some key areas that, that you see that are really going to start to, to have a higher demand for that, seeing the need to have not just a security plan, but mm -hmm. a private police force? Yes. You know, I think uh, the healthcare industry is definitely one. Uh, we're, I just quoted a, uh, a job for a hospital in Texas the other day. There were... Uh, calling us about having off-duty officers to patrol their hospital. I think uh, you're going to see a lot of corporate campuses, as we mentioned before. Uh, some, you know, most colleges and universities have their own uh, security force or police force <clears throat> there. Yeah, uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of this. Uh, there's a lot of business improvement districts. And, you know, a lot of these areas, uh, it's a big uh, high-traffic shopping and retail area. It's usually mixed use. Uh, they've usually got some restaurants, uh, some uh, 
clubs or nightclubs and that kind of lounges and that kind of thing uh, within the business improvement district. So it's kind of a mixed use. And so, you know, some of those retail outlets or corporate offices within that business improvement district are open early in the morning. And then, you know, some of your establishments, uh, some of the restaurants and the clubs are going to be open on later into the night. Uh, you got a whole different set of problems within within that 12 to 18 hour time frame or so there. Uh, so a lot of those places are, are looking at having either off-duty law enforcement officers or armed security, uh, which may be, uh, might consist of retired law enforcement officers or retired military personnel who have a higher level of training. And, you know, going back to the law enforcement side too, just because someone's a good law enforcement officer are not going to make them a good security officer. Sure. <clears throat> I'll tell you that it's, it's a whole it's a whole different game, and a lot of things I had to learn transitioning from a law enforcement career to a security industry career is that you know in law enforcement we're out there chasing bad guys, we're trying to make arrests, we're trying to help people, and uh, you know we're not worried about the money or whatever. Well, in the security industry, you're working for a client. You know, public safety and uh, and being a deterrent is still your job, but we're uh, especially if. Uh, you know, depending on the client, who the client is, there are going to be different demands there. So law enforcement officers don't always make good security personnel and vice, and vice versa. There's a lot of things that the security industry does a lot better to law enforcement and, of course, vice versa. Sure. But, uh, you know, some people think, well, you know, I'm, I was a law enforcement officer for X number of years, whatever. Uh, surely I can be a security officer. Yeah. yeah, and this is probably an oversimplification, but one of the ways I've always put it in talking to, to ex-law enforcement coming into this business is, uh, law enforcement by its nature is reactive mm -hmm. and security 99% of the time is proactive uh, right. trying to, to be that deterrent and uh, obviously what we can actually do in response to situations is vastly different. Um, I used to put it this way, uh, when you were a law enforcement officer, your or else is mm -hmm. much different than my or else. Right. If I'm trying to enforce a rule or regulation on a mm -hmm private property, if I say, we'll do this or else, I really don't have an or else in most situations. Right. A police officer does. So uh, certainly some differences there, but I think we're already seeing sort of the, the, the two coming together, a lot of synergies there that have been around for decades, but, but I think we'll see a lot more public and private partnerships uh, because of what's going on, not just in our country, but quite frankly, the world. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about those business districts and some of the public-facing locations. People want to feel safe. Uh, that, that's what we're all uh, desiring. And one of the things that I speak to about things that have changed in the industry, we talked about the training, the qualifications, but I can remember early in my career that security was always seen as sort of this necessary evil. and. Mm -hmm just something you had to deal with if you went to the airport or you were signing in at a corporate campus. And now we get questions from the public about how much security do you have? Uh, what what measures do you have in place? Again, going back to, to what's happening in our country right now, um, people are worried about going into certain areas in metro cities. Am I going to be safe? Am I going to be free from any type of, of criminal element there. So they're looking to, to police and private security to provide that, that safety net, so to speak. Um, we hear this this term a lot in the media, defunding the police. I know you talk to a lot of, of law enforcement agencies and some of their concerns over that, but when we hear that, that term, mm -hmm. what could be the practical impact on law enforcement if that actually starts to happen? Uh, there could be a huge impact. Uh, 
it's funny that you mentioned the term necessary evil because most city councils, most county commissions, most state legislatures, even Congress, as far as federal law, law enforcement goes, they only fund what they have to fund as far as law enforcement goes. They consider it to be a necessary evil, and we're going to give them just, just enough for them to get by uh, outside some grant money or whatever that has a lot of strings tied to it that you can apply for as a, as a local or a state agency. But um, defunding the police is a, is a horrible idea. Most agencies are not, not funded adequately right now, and defunding them uh, would definitely be a mistake. I'm not saying that there's waste. There's not wasted money in certain agencies, and maybe money should be reallocated to do other things or to do them differently. The main focus for law enforcement is the patrol officer. That is the meat and the potatoes. That is the backbone of any law enforcement agency. Is a uniformed patrol officer who's out there on the beat, that's being a deterrent or who's being a first responder to a situation where, where people need him. And uh, you know, going back to what you were saying about the business improvement districts and about people wanting to uh, feel safe and, and go about their business, and what people have to realize is, is all this relates back to our our economy also. You know, if people don't feel safe and they're not out spending money, they're not out shopping, they're not out eating in restaurants and, and going to concerts and that type of thing, then it's hurting our economy, which in turn hurts the whole country. Uh, you know, I was listening to a speech that uh, Attorney General William Barr was giving uh, a few weeks ago to some law enforcement executives. And he said that there was this Latin term, it's actually uh, engraved on one of the sides of the Department of Justice building in Washington. And this was a very long Latin term, so I wouldn't even try to say it in Latin. But basically what it says, translate to, is it says, from law and order, everything else flows. If we don't have law and order, nothing else is going to be done. There's nothing else that's going to be done correctly. Nothing else is going to be done uh, in any sense of normalcy either. We've got to have law and order. And I don't understand people in this country that don't want law and order. I think 99% of the people in this country want law and order. They want their kids to be able to play in the front yard. They want them to be able to go to school and feel like they're safe. They want to go shopping. They want to go to restaurants. You know, and, and outside all this COVID mess that we've had for you know, almost the, the last year or so. But people want to feel safe in their homes and they want to feel safe in order to go outside their home to to enjoy life or even just go to work or school yeah and to sort of to, to wrap up where we're at right now um give me your prediction for companies like first card or dsi how do you see things going the next year or so do you think there's going to be an increased demand for what we're calling private policing or using those off-duty law enforcement officers uh, i think there's going to be a great demand uh, no matter how the election goes uh, I do believe that uh, there's going to be an increase uh, just because uh, there's not enough law enforcement officers in this country to do what needs to be done. And I really don't see the recruitment and retention problem going away. Uh, there's just not going to be a bunch of money offered. And truthfully, you know, the, and one reason I think that police officers don't need to make, you know, $200,000 a year is because you attract the wrong type of people. Uh, law enforcement needs to be a job that somebody wants to do. It, and I've seen people over my career before 
they look at it and say, hey, it's a fair paying job. Uh, you know, I got a college degree in basket weaving or something, and, and I'm working at a retail outlet at the mall with my degree. Uh, but, you know, I can go down here and be a police officer, and I can make $40,000 a year, and they furnish me insurance and a take-home car and that kind of thing. And then when those individuals get out there and they get into the meat of what the work is really all about, and they get out there and they get scared scraped up and scratched up and get some dangerous situations or they see a child that's been injured or killed and certain things like that and, and they realize hey this is really not for me we we don't want to pay cops too much money but we want to pay them enough sure. to make just better than a than a good living and to be able to provide for their families uh, but because we want to get people in there that want to be servants we want to be uh, people in there that's got it in their heart that that's what their calling actually is and i do believe law enforcement is a calling because I've seen people come and go, and then you see the ones that stay and retire after a 20, 25, 30, or even more year career, and uh, that, that was their true calling of what they were meant to do in life. Sure. And I think there will be gaps in, in the future, and so private security, off-duty law enforcement, I think has to be ready to fill those gaps. Yes, I, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think you're going to see an increase. Uh, we, we're already seeing a lot of different calls for different types of things uh, than, than we used to get calls for. And uh, we, we try to, uh, we try to, what we do is when somebody calls us for an off-duty law enforcement officer, they think they need an off-duty law enforcement officer, whether it be a private citizen, whether it be a, a, a corporate entity or whatever the case may be. And we've got a lot of corporations that we do regular work for. They know that if they've got a situation where they need off-duty law enforcement officers, they pick up the phone. You know, we're their, their go-to. Uh, we've got security companies that, that need have certain needs that require off-duty law enforcement officers, such as DSI. And, uh, you know, I, I really value our, our, our partnership with First Guard and DSI in that manner because, uh, you know, we have a relationship. And that's what we like to do is we like to have relationships prior to an event happening. So, you know, if somebody calls and says, hey, we might need this or we want to explore these options, that's fine. We may not get any work out of you uh, in the next week or two, but at least we will have formed a relationship there where you know me, you know First Guard, and you can call us and, and you know you can get that type of service. But I definitely see it expanding. I think you're going to see uh, some private policing. Uh, you know, and there, there's different forms of private policing. There are actually police departments that are formed for certain entities that actually have arrest powers through the, you know, their state's post commission. And then you have uh, such private police agencies that are really more, they're armed security, but they're a professional organization providing armed security. Sure. Yeah, a lot to think about for the future. So right. we could actually take uh, several of these topics and, and just, just talk for Forever. quite a bit about just right. those, those individual topics. and. Uh, sounds like we may have some things to talk about again in the future. Sure. So thanks again for joining us here today, Andy. Sure. It was a great conversation, and, and we hope to, uh, to maybe explore some of these in more depth later on. Thanks again for your time. Right, thank you, Eddie. Thanks.